Good evening and welcome to the 20th episode of Leadership Conversations in the Development Sector. The social impact sector is full of passionate leaders with innovative outlooks on the world's greatest problems. Our leadership conversations focus on the unique insights offered by these leaders as they share their experiences and move the development sector forward. Our host, Go Barefoot, is an interactive web portal dedicated to the social sector. It brings together individuals, NGOs, NPOs, and the CSR arms of organizations with the mandate of creating a one-stop information website for both networking and knowledge sharing. We're supported by Catalyst, an NGO which has been preparing young women for leadership roles to create equality in opportunities and bridge the gender gap. Also, we are supported by third sector partners, India's only executive search firm exclusively for the development sector. Our guest today is one of the leading lights in the development sector. I would like to extend a warm welcome to Sudarshan Suchi, CEO, Save the Children. Sudarshan is a seasoned civil society leader with both local and global experience in academics, development, and in corporate settings and an authority in participatory practices to empower communities to lead transformation. Over the past three decades, Sudarshan has held leadership positions with eminent organizations like Reliance Foundation, Reliance Life Sciences, and National Dairy Development Board. Prior to joining Save the Children, Sudarshan was the Secretary General at SOS Children's Villages of India. He also brings in academic experience, having teaching experience at IRMA, IAHMR, etc. Sudarshan also serves on governance platform, being on the board of Adhyogani and Academic Council of IAHMR's Ruler Management Program. A self-professed and self-trained farmer, Sudarshan is also the co-founder of Adhyan Center for Collaborative Learning. A few that stand out among his myriad professional achievements are successful advocacy for reforms in cooperative laws and the producer company Act Enactment, turnaround of AP Dairy Cooperatives, launching of largest biodiesel cultivation initiative in India, and executing one of the largest ruler transformation initiatives, Beach, as a corporate CSR. Sudarshan's journey is a remarkable synergy of hands-on grassroots implementation experience at micro level with perspective building and strategic thinking at macro level. In conversation with Mr. Suchi is Sheetal Gakkar Mehra, leadership expert and executive presence coach for CEOs. Sheetal has trained over 75,000 professionals across Asia and has personally coached over 1,000 CXOs in the past two decades. She has conducted workshops for diverse organizations across Asia and has been invited as a speaker by leading these schools and professional associations. She's a best-selling author and her latest best-selling book, Executive Presence, The Poise Formula for Leadership, is India's first research-based formula on this leadership skill. Sheetal is an active philanthropist and social entrepreneur. Thank you, Sudarshan and Sheetal, for joining us today. Over to you, Sheetal. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Sudarshan. We are very excited to hear your views. So I'm going to start with my first question to you. 2020 and 2021 have been years of school closures. As a leader in the child's rights sector, you have worked extensively with communities and have handled child education, along with, of course, keeping our children away from harm and abuse. So please share with our listeners a couple of initiatives that you have taken to transform the quality of life of the children, especially the girl child. Thank you. 
thanks uh, sheetal i am still overwhelmed from sakshi's introduction i was wondering if she misplaced the document for somebody else you know that's not me <laughs> my journey fairly has been very grounded humble and meandering around making my share of faults in the process of learning extremely grateful extremely grateful and selfish that i have had this opportunity to love what i do and to be professionally engaged in doing that i mean it's a blessing uh, having said that um save the children and i i think the pandemic caught us all on the wrong foot and wrong foot not just by the medical context of it but overall our preparedness you know in 21st century for all of us uh, in a lockdown to be like in a breakdown i mean to even use a term like social distancing i mean you know just think of it with the most modern gadgets and we are connecting on a real time basis with mars and here we were not able to connect within two you know bedrooms or drawing room because and a whole context and um, of course i didn't tire saying that what we got caught was with the physical distancing and uh, the social distancing was an invitation to us that if there are conditions in which physically you are not in proximity can do your minds need to be at a distance do you need to get this will you get disconnected in every other manner too so why i am mentioning this long preamble sheetal ji is because save the children's response was all about this all about challenging and overturning the social distancing concept saying that uh, at the last mile when people are wondering whether others know we exist or not save the children first and foremost figured out ways and means to make sure all the children and their parents of whom we work know that we are there for them in so many ways it didn't come easy we had to you know refigure out reconfigure ourselves our ways of doing thing in terms of suddenly you know networking with all people mobile connects other things and reaching out and then many of my colleagues at the peak of pandemic when uh, you know we were providing position of official lockdown discouraging people from coming to office these were colleagues who were out there in the streets from rural to urban to slums to you know other places just reaching out and getting small i mean we never thought that all will become a challenge sanitizer or you know simple paracetamol i mean just, just imagine and many of my colleagues and i became kind of part time medical experts learning the spelling of oxygen concentrator and what not i mean these were not words we knew before this pandemic and um, so anyway so the basic first effort was to stay connected reach out and make sure people know the second thing was to revisit ourselves you asked me about the education school and girls so the second thought for us was we never had thought of education beyond the formal structure of school and what goes on home to school school to back or at best technology drivers you know um, uh, education uh, i'm saying technology was there before pandemic also technology got excessively accentuated as a requirement after 
but then we are talking about homes where between five six of a family one mobile almost smart was there the people using it uh, were not tuned into you know having education online the people monitoring them so there was a whole new context which put itself to us that do we also tick box like anybody that if a software and if uh, online reaches there education is happening if attendance if a kid has joined in we figured out no so we questioned ourselves saying that if kids can't come to school is there a way to take school to kids can we do that within the confines of the challenges that were posed to us so what we did was identified in the neighborhoods of most of the places where we were a few of the relatively more progressive mothers and other volunteers who were willing to step out and be trained impromptu into managing small group of children you know uh, in their safe confines what we called as multi activity center i'm going to slightly for a second digress from the core education to say that these were children whose 8 10 hours outside of home were very precious free play hours because otherwise many of them were confined in a 6 by 8 or 10 space and that itself was a new challenge to them not just the covid but this physicality of it pronounced staying you know uh, 24 by 7 literally unknown unforeseen contexts so we identified some of these spaces which were available i mean abandoned or vacated by some ongoing shop owner refurbished them immediately with some of our colleagues and some other material and developed a social protocol around within that community and then started running some of the contexts that okay there's a bridge between technology education school and getting this children there and not the least even ensuring that there was a midday meal that to be available so this was one big context uh, that we kind of intervened second big context was we opened a helpline a mental health helpline called umeed in collaboration with rajasthan government and then it kind of got reached out elsewhere just to let people know they can call a number what we were afraid of is what we didn't even know because you know who who are the children where are they how many of them are you know with all these facilities available still unreached uncertain to reach us and everything so i think to some extent we made remarkable adaptation there was a program my team developed called gulmohar which was around early childhood education but primarily focusing on the preschool and the others to get them also that they don't miss out on the bus of this lockdown and distant education so i would say on the whole my take is we got educated as an organization that how education needs to be looked beyond confines of classroom secondly how the formal education had not prepared or equipped kids with life skills and all so that became a part of our curriculum the third component aside of mental health and you know classroom near the children was the whole thing about bringing life skills as an approach so that when caught unaware the children have a resilience to cope up survive respond 
second content. So we got educated that these were all spaces that we could cover the, so to say, the fifth space in what some people say. Superb. Yeah. So interesting and so much, um, I mean, uh, so much learning for the team and for everybody. And yes, of course, the pandemic uh, has taught all of us lessons. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to change gears a bit. And we have seen during the pandemic that the government had to work very closely with both the corporate yeah. sector and the development sector yeah. for vaccination, for awareness building, yeah. for mask wearing, um, you know, various other initiatives. Now, in your career, you have also worked quite closely with the government. So in your opinion, what can the social sector learn from the government? And of course, what can the government learn from this sector? So, my so to say, I don't have a tagline, but I try to make it mine often, saying that I'm learning to listen and listening to learn. And I think that kind of spells out the relationship between government, NGOs and corporates or between any people. And especially those of us who are saying we want to serve others or we want to engage with communities. You can't do that if you are closed to learning. Having said that as a motherhood statement, in terms of actual operation, I think from the government, the biggest take we learn is as NGOs, sometimes we operate on a proof of concept in a one small context, micro context, how to perfect a certain delivery to some extent. Sometimes, you know, because of that focus, the narrow focus, one sometimes misses out the big picture or one misses out the context in which this can be taken to scale. So our collaboration with comment actually, you know, taught us that the biggest context. I mean, if I had to pick up an example, I would say there were two pediatric wards in hospitals that we set up. One in a Delhi slum near Tilaknagar, another in a almost Nepal border of UP district, Shravasti. And we saw the best of the government descending in the collaboration in both this. It was not just in the setting up of those hospitals, but in the process, the government looking at a big picture that how this would be the reference point for any primary health center or hospital in a larger context. So bringing things to scale is, I think, one part we have learned from government. The other part, I think, um, which is a learning which is learning even to collaborate you know initially the government machinery is quite complex and it, it can almost dissuade you from you know wanting to find that connect but when you perceive and when you are able to establish uh, a context with government nothing does a magic like a government machinery in terms of the rapid speed and in terms of something more holistic as an engagement and, um, you know, I don't tire saying this story, but what I've watched unfold in Shravasti around a pediatric ward is a district administration and health people joining us. And in the process, uh, the road accessibility improving, the power connection improving, the school getting repaired. I mean, there were many unforeseen outcomes in the collaboration. And um, so I think... You know, there is a power. Uh, I mean, I mean a power in the different sense, you know, not in terms of that power of looking things, not just at scale. Power of getting things yeah. done and scalability. Yeah. Which yeah. is something that they can move things. Yeah. 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 
and things remain to, to have changed. So that I think is the government part. And from us, I think the government, and it's not just about learning, actually it's also collaboration or partnership. There are some things which, you know, we like about each other, but we would remain good at ourselves. So this is government. I think the NGO part is getting down to that relationship, the last person, and while everything else as a technology comes, but the soft skills of giving confidence to people to have faith, to come out, stir out. And for that, I would borrow another experience, the vaccine hesitancy and working together. I remember traveling to hinterlands in Bihar, in Odisha. So the government machinery moved in terms of ensuring availability of vaccine, the doctors to give. Our role was very limited, very, in a way, insignificant. That of explaining and giving confidence to community around myths surrounding around, you know, misgivings of vaccine. Even a small thing like there were some people, the old people who couldn't come and go, just transport them back and forth. And then back up in the basic hygiene, wash context to make the whole thing a full circular context. But as a consequence, in some places from zero vaccine to 500 in two days or 100% coverage of some villages, these were the kind of magics that unfolded um, in that collaboration. And uh, bringing in the corporate element in the same context since you asked that. Um, so I think you know one of the biggest context of corporate is to look at cost optimization as scales yeah. go. So cost consciousness, first of all, you know, not just yeah, yeah. profitability yeah. is an agenda, yeah. very strong agenda for a corporate. So I think from their profitability, we certainly learn optimization, efficiency, and also capital is deployed, you know, the timing of capital in terms of its appropriateness. And I think the by and large, the corporate and particularly the manufacturing and other units their SOP approach, you know, to, to have a standard operating procedure, to have a predictability yeah. around results. Traditionally, yeah. NGOs were good in terms of what goes in. I think the corporates have brought a culture of what comes out also. Sometimes I think excessively so that an output or outcome is imagined even before something happens or in short-term capsule. I think we could do a little less of that, but the larger culture of yeah. being accountable for results I think yeah. it's a healthy influence on us. And Super I think, wonderful. Yeah. And yes, sorry, yes. if you look at the triangle of all the three, to scale with a system and process and with a humane touch, I mean, what you know, what can be better than this triangulation? A collaboration like that. Yeah. Um, now, you know, donor profile we have seen has changed yeah. a lot in India. We hear of words like collaborative philanthropy, young philanthropy, and of course the CSR law has also mandated that corporations should give to certain causes that they support. So what is your view on this? Difficult context. First is it's a law, it must be done. If I was asked, I would say that why should it take a law for us to do something socially right? You know, and it's not just a prerogative of the corporate. Any one of us, if things flow from surplus to deficit, you know, if I take a pause and step back and say that those of us who stay in urban privileged contexts, 
if we think we are secure in our compounds while you know half the country will have existential issues on survival on food on nutrition on education so the state of the larger country is only as good as its weakest link not as its strongest link so there is an india which reaches march and which is technologically driven computers have been it savvy beating the best of the west and there is a bharat which is there where you know marginality is extreme people don't have a basic right to education or nutrition or health extreme so that, poverty extreme yeah, poverty extreme uncertainty of survival for the next day so i think ideally it should have happened as a second nature to us not as a favor but to secure ourselves to invest and strengthen the country in children's case i would say these are future citizens of the country so we should have invested protected and indulged not calculated as to what is the cost per Percentage. child it should be investment per child just imagine you and me thinking are we spending too much on our son and daughter i mean you know itna will it benefit at all itna khachne I mean, we don't think that we think why can we wish we could yeah. spend more to do more so i think first, but then coming to csr uh, this thing law and content i'm glad that corporates are in increasingly even if because of the law getting engaged in the social context and um, what i have seen is from providing resources to getting engaged in program and program designing so there is a positive curve and a shift of needle and what you what i mentioned in like the previous answer to previous question the triangulation between the three and uh, the best of the three the only thing we have to wonder is that if and when it becomes the worst of the three i tell you even that can matlab that's you know something to worry about and therefore yeah. uh, you know we we need to think that not everything can be converted into a business model not uh, you know while even while ngos articulate the outcomes or the results or impacts i think um, corporates need to understand could do better in comprehending that people don't live in factory conditions not with predictable boundaries and there are too many variables happening True. and and the journey needs a development relationship so that eventually you kind of you know there on the strength right. part there is a entrepreneurial ability and mindset with which the corporate and the development sector have engaged post the csr engagement and that's a huge 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 opportunity and potential in india you know the resources that are waiting for us to deploy thanks to this super thank you so much very comprehensive answer and uh, you know technology has also been a bit of a game changer in the yeah. sector so how has that uh, according to impacted the sector and you've seen the shift in the last decade mm-hmm. so uh, shital two levels one is the organizations working in development sector technology there second is technology for the poor or technology and the poor or the marginal so on the poor and marginal i think an obsession of looking at technology as a solution even before making technology friendly accessible and comprehensible by people has a risk of that becoming a new inequality 
I'm saying we've got to live with technology. This is the future way. And uh, can we just thrust it unconditionally, saying this is the panacea of all ills? I don't think uh, this is the dolo of coronavirus. You can't dish it out. And you've seen even dolo hasn't done too much for <laughs> when you get corona. So, you know, similarly, providing a smartphone or an app or a software and thinking everybody will suddenly magically things happen. I think we need to persevere their affordability, their access, friendliness and that content. For NGOs, I think it's a big opportunity if technology can increase efficiency, the way of doing things, the speed of doing things and ability to collate data, outcome mapping and present it for a potential impact to scale. It's a huge opportunity. There again, I see a struggle for capacities of NGOs to become technologically literate and have capacity to invest you know, in technology, affordability of technology for NGOs. So these are two barriers and yet the opportunity is fabulous. What could cost 100 rupees to solve a problem could be one rupee. What could take five years could take five days. Superb, and, yeah, you articulated yeah. that very beautifully. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I'm going to change uh, gears to your journey. Now that you have been uh, in the sector for over three decades, you have seen it change, you've seen it evolve. And of course, leadership also has had to rise up to the challenge. So in your personal journey of reaching this leadership position, what motivated you? What inspires you? And how do you keep this motivation going as a leader? So first of all, I think um, being a CEO is not, it has nothing to do with being a leader. I think, uh, and I would love to be a leader. I'm not even sure whether I'm one because, you know, leadership is all about taking pioneering challenges, building, you know, forward looking, creating and reaching out. And it needs no invitation to anybody to be a leader. You know, you can do that. In fact, I wish there were more leaders than managers and as a context, as an approach. Having said that, my own journey, actually, I think the biggest inspiration has been when you work with people and your teams and with communities, the, the love, the unconditional love, response, trust, faith, and hope that you see, it, it is like a real, uh, you know, energizer constantly. And the second thing is when you see you being able to participate in changes happening, transformative changes happening for people. So, so I every time don't forget where I came from, what were my challenges. I mean, I you know, walked through as an ordinary, just pure my own survival context and receiving so much support. So I keep imagining that, you know, there are so many people similarly waiting so people's livelihood getting secure and I mean, transformative changes happening in front of you and people taking charge of their lives from being prisoners of their circumstances and believing in hope, you know, believing in uh, right to look for future, you know, people who won't otherwise doubt that thing, it, it's like a wonderful thing. It, it keeps giving me kind of infinite energy and excitement also. And there is a newness in it. Every every day is new in that. Never a How nicely. Yeah. You put it so nicely with so much passion and enthusiasm. 
my final question to you is that you know mistakes happen yeah. and uh, failures happen and learning of course is a part of a leader's journey so mm. how conducive is a development sector for uh, failure and you know how does is it tough to bounce back and what is your uh, piece yeah. of advice to our young audience in case they try some uh, something new yeah. something different and can possibly fail first i have to say that if there was some phd structured around failures i'm sure i would have got four five of them so that's the quantum of failures and failures and i'm not even sure what is failure failure simply to me is you thought something you promised something and it failed to happen mostly that happens when you decide to do something so in retrospect you have two choices that you never did anything or having learned from this what more can you do how differently you can do and what you can grow so my commitment with my organization and in the sector is celebrate failures dedicate a chapter in your annual report to learning outcomes from things that didn't work acknowledge people for you know even from a small thing like even performance planning you know we should be rewarding instead of deterrents for things that didn't work which means i would invite people to come forward and wanting to compete in sharing and daring about failure rather than being a taboo wary and covering up i think it's not happening enough in our sector it it could happen loads more right very interestingly put and now uh, you know we have run out of time but not out of questions um from our audience we're going to take a question uh, anjali patil from third sector partners would like to ask you a question so could we have the spotlight on anjali please um hi sudarshan it was so nice to uh, hear about your thoughts and i really liked when you said that you need not be a ceo to be a leader and uh, my question actually revolves around that as well um in the past 30 years you you must have met you know the leaders who lead yeah. um and how do you see the mindset of those leaders in the development sector changing uh, with respect to um, you know their vision to create an inclusive future so i think uh, the first phrase that occurs to me is the leaders dared you know uh, that uh, there used to be that serial star trek and captain kirk the first line would be where no man has ever been and this thing contained so i think that's the defining context of a leader that they could think bigger wider deeper and longer than other people and could visualize things before you know they even came up as a context or a problem from there and i think that was the unique context and the second thing was to be able to live by exploring around you know what is there and i must say this there is an assumption uh, let's say like you mentioned about my journey and inspiring leaders yes i mean some phenomena i've had a chance to work with dr kurian and then mr mukesh ambani but i want to cite that one leader who inspired me greatly was one of my most junior colleagues while i was the head in one place he was one of my freshest uh, joinee at that time a young professional and he you know through his um, inspirational kind of standing up to what is right even at that context could teach me a lot i mean he's grown up now it's about 10 years since then the leading professional in the sector 
didn't ask his permission. I didn't see this coming, so I would have named him also. But very prominent. But he did. He did question. He did offer solutions to things which he was not invited to. And I think that's the spirit of a leader. They don't wait for invitations. We don't. I mean, it, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Anjali. We have another question from Shweta of Catalyst. So, can we have the spotlight on Shweta, please? Hi, hello, good evening. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a very inspiring session. Uh, thank you, Sudarshan. Uh, my question is more to do with the interventions of Save the Children, especially related to child protection. And, you know, uh, because Catalyst works with girls, I'm always interested in my questions mostly relate to that. Uh, yeah. What were some of the challenges? You you mentioned about social distancing, you know, how it was a big challenge uh, to kind of get that uh, in those settings, in the rural settings especially. And we heard of cases we read in newspapers, how girl children were getting exploited, uh, you know, during the COVID times, I think that the percentage went up a little higher. So what were some of the challenges that the organization faced and how did you overcome them? So um, uh, let me quickly uh, try and uh, narrate this. I was in the second wave of pandemic just after that. I had visited Sundarban Sagar uh, and uh, among various people uh, came across this girl, Anamia, who was all of 15, 16, was a part of our program as New Horizons, it was called, and which was basically backing young girls with if they had some specific aspiration and dream to do in future livelihood context. And before you worry, Shweta, whether I'm responding to what you asked, here is what she told me when I asked her, what's your aspiration? What would you like to do? She said that I want to become skilled, expert and, uh, you know, trainer and competent in SRHR, sexual rights and human rights. And uh, she said, I want to do this. And I want to make sure that I spend my life and earn my livelihood through making sure that other girls don't have to kind of go. She said, when I was 9, 10 and young, I didn't even have the knowledge. I didn't even comprehend whether anything wrong was happening, whether I could raise a... I mean, she said, I was just clueless to think. I don't want other girls to remain clueless. So I'll dedicate my life and I want to become an expert and then I will enable them. And so I said, but will, will that get you enough money? She said, the, whatever those communities decide how important it is, because for me, the importance is that the ownership of all this has to be within. It can't come outside. The girl needs to know, the children need to know, and their communities need to know that their safeguarding and protection is primarily a power within issue. And I learned Shweta there that while our programs are all in terms of awareness of people, I think the key is transference of their awareness to an owner, internal ownership. What mm -hmm. that little girl taught me in few minutes was that uh, look, I mean, the, the trigger has to happen localized context somewhere. You provide all the means, but eventual protection and eventually this thing has to be in a local ecosystem nested and rested there and driven from there and and i think we need more such girls in more such places who are aware active and you know willing to 
question the status quo and push back that's where the hope is hope is not with me it's with her you know and people like me are just part of their journeys just unlocking their potential which was always there that potential we just triggered that context correct yes right thank you so much thank you thank you uh, sakshi do we have any questions in the chat box yes sheetal uh, we do have a question um okay so the question is how can a common man get connected with the save the children organization for uh, you know contribution in terms of area of expert or can help with a common man how can they get connected with the organization right so the moment a person wants to get connected to do something they become a part of solution and stop being a part of problem so they need to know that they are no longer common they are uncommon that's the first part having become uncommon they can reach out to us and suggest whatever their limitations boundary conditions capacities and other contexts are and there are 15 crore there are 50 crore youth in india at least 15 crores of them are youth in vulnerable contexts and we could certainly figure out for every person what they can do once they have decided to become a part of the solution i mean there are hundreds of things possible somebody could be a maths teacher somebody could teach drawing somebody may be able to get water access somebody may be able to teach sanitary i mean some engineer could go and repair somebody's house i think the spirit is becoming a part of the solution consciously and uh, you know an active citizen role i, I think the rest can follow i mean all they need to do is write to us and uh, not just us but any organization i would certainly be happy for those uncommon people you know who decided to be uncommon and be a part of solution so very yeah. nice people thank you so much and um, yes uh, to our listeners and our audience thank you for joining in and uh, sudarshan has given you options on how you can be an active citizen contribute in whatever big or small way that you feel is appropriate given the boundaries of your uh, personal and professional time and on that note thank you sudarshan this has been an extremely motivating inspiring and enlightening chat and thank you once again and really appreciate uh, your thoughts on the, the sector so thank you and thanks for joining thanks sheetal for this space and thank you everybody else who gave your patient time for me thank you thanks thank you thanks a lot and goodbye okay thanks